Well, today we are in week two of our five-part series on worship music. And our passage will be in the New Testament in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. That's about 12 books into the New Testament. And go ahead and look it up in your uh, table of contents if you need. It's not an easy one to find, but you could open there. We'll be there shortly in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, or turn on your device, whatever it is you like to do. Last week, last week we saw that the Lord commands us to, in Psalm 100, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, even bringing our Yes, our emotions into it as we praise God. And then last week, verse 2 of the same psalm, come into his presence with singing because it's good for us and mostly because God deserves it. He deserves our glory and it's pleasing to our Heavenly Father when we lift him up and when we praise him. Well, this week, like, like last week, we're going to have a mobile number up there on some of these slides, and you can text that with some sermon questions if you have them, and some of our pastors will go into the studio later in the week, and they'll look at these questions, see if they can bunch some together, and hopefully answer a bunch of them if possible. So please feel free to text your questions to that number. Uh, today, what we're going to do is talk about worship music again today, but we're going to be narrowly, narrowly focusing on one thing, and it's the contents of what we sing, Truth. And next week, we're going to look at the packaging of worship music like psalms, hymns, and and spiritual songs. And again, we're going to be Colossians 3, verse 16. On Sunday morning, we want to root all of our teaching and all of our singing, the content, in truth. But why music? Well, a little bit last week, we talked about this, but I want to say it again clearly this week. Because music forms us, so we sing truth. Reading Colossians 3.16, it says this. Let the word, this is Paul talking to the Colossian church. He says, let the word of Christ, we're going to have to come back to that, word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, Keep yourself there. We're going to be there most of the day. So over the last 40 years or so, I don't have to tell you, you've been around the block a few times but most of the popular songs today, the content itself has become, and research shows this, dramatically over-sexualized with violence and sexual violence over and over again. And, and you've seen this in our society. And, and your heart, I want you to know, and your soul and your mind, if you don't think about these things, it's still true, that it's under attack as we listen. And if we're not aware, then we're vulnerable because music sears messages into your heart into your soul and into your mind and by the way that's by design who designed that god of course but for good of course but music is designed by god to reach us to teach us he invites us in he influences us we uh, have our emotions and we go on a spiritual journey just like any good story does and what it does is it sears music it sears meaning um uh, into your memory it puts these messages the messages into your hearts and your souls into your minds and make make no mistake songs have messages and those messages are implanted in our soul so we sing truth and what's our heart soul and and mind's primary job you might remember jesus said these words do you mark chapter 12 i have it on the screen Really what our heart, soul, and our mind are all about is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and of course with all your strength. So we protect ourselves and we sing truth. Ah, A little more positive note here. 
Uh, there's a song, an old song from the 1700s. It's really my f- most favorite because it has a message in it. Its message is truth, and it reaches my heart, my soul, my mind every single time. It just shapes me. When my kids were little, I would sing it to them all the time. Um, I don't know if they enjoyed it, but they heard it. <laughs> uh, you probably have a, a worship song that just fills you. It's been seared, that message, into your heart, into your soul, mind. You sing it. You love it. It takes you where God wants you to be, maybe in hard times, maybe in good times, whatever it is, but here's mine. <laughs> Come thou fount of every blessing. Uh, we sing that sometimes here in church, don't we? Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Yes. Singing in response to God with loudest praise because of his blessings, his grace, his mercies. What else? Robinson here who writes this, he goes on and and he talks about it more and more. He nails it down. I love it. See, um, this song isn't just my song, right? I mean, if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that at one point you were wandering from God, right? At one point he came in when you were a stranger and because of what he did on the cross, he brought you in. The, the, the song goes on. It says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger. What danger is that? Eternity without him, also known as hell. He rescued. What did he do? He interposed his precious, interposed meaning he inserted he intervened between that danger and ourselves, the cross, his own blood. He brought his own blood. So if you hear nothing else today and if you need to leave early, I get that. But hear this, please, before you go. I want you to know that we, all of us, we're formed by the truth of worship music. Psalm 100 again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's a command from God and come into his presence with singing. And like this hymn writer said, Sing songs with loudest praise. Music messages matter, so we sing truth. Our big idea today is this. Christians invite truth, sing truth, and are changed. And I'm going to go through three things today. I'm going to start with uh, age-old lies, the mud, the ugliness, and then go to age-old truth, and then how we respond to truth. Those three things. Uh, You might have a strong message, uh, a strong song that brings you uh, to a place of of, of peace or relief or whatever with with God, and it's beautiful. It speaks to your mind, your soul, your heart, but I want you to know that um, your mind is being um, sought after by lies. There's competition to truth, and so I'm going to spend a little time talking about that competition. Uh, I call these things uh, age-old lies, age-old lies. There's lots of them, nothing really new under the sun. But I want to start with, under age-old lies, ancient lies. The first thing. The reason is because in in Colossians chapter 3, before we get there, Paul is talking about some of these ancient lies. Uh, Actually, some of them were just coming about. Um, He's trying to protect the church because he loves the church. He wants to help the church. So he's writing to them. And what he's doing in chapter 2 is he is addressing these lies. They're things like, and they didn't all have names back then. Some did, some didn't. Gnosticism. That's an ugly one. Legalism. Legalism we talk about sometimes. Mysticism. Asceticism. Not going to go teach on these. I don't really want to do that today. Gnosticism was that mystical knowledge that somehow saves you. And legalism we talk about sometimes. Rules save you. Make you right with God. Not true. None of this. Mysticism. Who knows what that is half the time. It's all experiential. It's um, individualistic, sometimes subjective. And then asceticism. This idea that which comes out of guilt is deny yourself. 
if you just don't have pleasure, if you don't touch, if you don't taste anything, you'll be somehow right with God. This is ridiculous. All of these things were diverting people from worshiping Christ. These things were inserting and putting things on Jesus or taking things away from him and his teaching. And so the apostle Paul says, beware. Well, that's, that's just ancient lies. But under this uh, thing of age-old lies in general, there's another one, another one of these isms. And this ism is today's ism lies. And they're, they're more popular today with more recent philosophers, but really there's nothing new under the sun. These are age-old lies. And they're, they're not really more sophisticated. They take on different names, and they have uh, newer philosophers. These are things like... Uh, these isms, lies, are things like, you know, some of these, right? Pragmatism, relativism, postmodernism, pluralism. You may have heard of these things. And I want to tell you, if you're about to go to high school, or maybe if you're even a little younger, or if you're not familiar with these, it's probably worth checking things out, checking these things out. Because as you grow older, you're going to see you're influenced by all of these things on a regular basis, and you just may not know it. They're just bad ideas, these things. I'll talk about them in a little bit here, but... They give me a headache because I hate them. I don't hate the philosophers. I just hate them. Sometimes in our culture, we see that truth is confused with the majority opinion, or we see truth is confused with what feels good. But these isms are just these today's ism lies. They're just really bad ideas. They're really, really, there's actually there's a word I want to use, but I think there's a few younger ones here. I can't use it or they'll take the word home, S-T-U-P-I, need another hand, D. Silly, that's another word for it. I looked up a bunch of synonyms. I was trying to figure out how to say that word up here, dense, mindless, ignorance, foolish, whatever it is. But that's what they are. Why? Because they take people away from Christ. They take people away from Christ. So, So I pick on them, not the philosophers, but I mean I pick on the ideas. You know, these these ideas, these isms, they don't stick. They don't stick at all. They fall on the floor. If you take uh, dry spaghetti, uncooked spaghetti out of a box, and anybody here make homemade pasta? You know, bless you. So forgive me. This is just an illustration. You take uncooked uh, spaghetti out of a box. If you take it and you throw it against the wall, what happens? It just drops. It doesn't stick. There's no stickiness to these. These ideas are like taking dry, uncooked spaghetti, throwing it against the wall and expecting it to stick. They don't stick. Why? Because they're not based in reality. When other scrutiny, under scrutiny, they fall on the floor. Okay, I have to pick on two. Relativism. All right, relativism is, is not Uncle Joe at the family reunion having to listen to his stuff. That, that's not relativism. Relativism is this idea that there is no truth. Relativism also says this a little more definitively, says that all truth is relative and that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That's relativism. It's ridiculous is what it is. Did you hear what, what I just read? That all truth is relative and that there is no such thing as absolute truth? That's ridiculous because what just happened is relativists are saying and they're making an absolute truth claim. They're making an absolute truth claim that there is no absolute truth. Huh. I think I graduated. Um, They've just contradicted themselves, and yet they want you to believe their lie. Hmm. All right, one more. Right? Just one more. I promise. No more than that. Pluralism says all truth claims are equally valid. That should make your head hurt. So all truth claims are equally valid? Okay, so somebody says that God is a prophet, 
a good man, but not God. And another religion says, Jesus is God, and he came to earth in the flesh, and he's all God and all man. So they're both supposed to be equally valid at the same time? That should make your head hurt. That denies the basic laws of logic. It actually defies the law of non-contradiction. I'm just going back to my math days, right? Maybe you know this, this law. It says that A and non-A can't be equal, or I should say that something can't be both A and non-A at the same time and in the same sense. Of course not. I mean, a fifth grader knows this. Pluralism is silly. Enough of that. That's the today-isms lies, and there's more of them. And I just hate the ideas, but they're constantly out there. You're constantly bombarded with them, and sometimes you just let them go by, and that's, that's great. Let them go by. They're in the airwaves. They're in our schools. They're in our schools, and I feel like I'm dragging everybody right now through the mud. I really do. Um, but my desire for us is to desperately desire truth and to sing truth because we know truth. His name is Jesus. Jesus has taken these useless and vain philosophies and he's defeated them at the cross. And so as Christians, our big idea again is we invite truth. We sing truth loudly and we're changed because of the truth. Okay, one more mud puddle to go through. We talked about these age-old lies, right? The, the ancient lies and the today-ism lies. And I want to get to another age-old truth, what I want to call common lies because they've existed forever, but they're so prevalent today. These common lies, you'll see them. You'll see them over and over again. Um, let me just put uh, three things up here under age-old common lies. The first is this. I'm the most important person. Number two. My happiness is the most important thing. Number three, I get to decide the truth. See these common lies? The antithesis of these I'll have up in a little bit. If you like Disney shows and Disney movies, and I'm not knocking really any of that stuff, or movies, uh, Netflix series, you know, those are fun, some of them, right? Uh, how about talk shows? radio shows, any of the stuff out there. We're getting fed these common lies pretty much regularly over and over. And I'm not saying don't watch them. What I'm saying is we're getting fed these things, these messages like these common lies. So be prepared and be aware because we don't want these things searing into our heart, our mind, and our soul. And certainly not on Sunday morning in our teaching nor in our songs. On a, on a Sunday in May in 2019, uh, Oprah Winfrey delivered a commencement speech, and it was to the graduates and their fa- families and the faculty at Colorado College. Now, I'm not, I'm not picking on her. I'm just picking on a, a message of that day, a problem with it. I'm sure there was a lot of excitement. So successful, you know, such a good speaker and so famous. And probably hard to get tickets even at Colorado College for this. And, but, but here's what happened. Here's what in this message was indicative of the lies that are on campuses and airwaves today. Now, remember... An, atten- an attentive audience. And here's what she said. Take a deep breath with me right now and repeat this. Okay, so I think when anybody ever says that, we probably want to put up a yellow flag and just say, could this be a trusted source? What this person's about to say, should I believe? So that's maybe the first thing here. Then she goes on and she says this. Everything is always working out for me. That's my mantra Make it yours. And then she asked him to repeat. Everything is always working out 
for me. No, I don't doubt that she intended good, and I'm sure she probably did, but did you notice something here? There's a truth claim in there. These things are hitting up against these common lies here. What's she basing it on? Is there some historical fact behind this? Is it magically true that if you say this, that everything is working? And is that even right? We know as a family of God, it's not right. Again, sure, she intended it for good, but these are just the common lies that are out there. Everything is always working out for me and for my good. No, no. As Christians, we want to invite truth in and let it change us, not lies in and let it change us. So these age-old lies, like ancient lies and today's ism lies or the common lies I just talked about, they have no basis in truth, no basis in reality. They just don't stick. They'll fall on the floor every time. So maybe it's time to state the obvious. Why talk about these lies? Why even bring them up? Because eternity is a long time to be wrong. You know, we, we need to know the truth, right, to identify lies, and that's probably our first step usually. But, but also to know the lies helps us guide or guard our hearts, our souls, and our minds to Christ. You ready for truth? I am. I didn't like going through that. I want to get cleaned up here, so that was painful. So let's turn to age-old truth and the three things, age-old lies, Age-old truth we're at now, and then eventually we get to respond to the truth. Age-old truth. And we're going to go to our key verse again, Colossians 3.16. I'm going to focus on the word of Christ. Let me read the verse again. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ, what is that? We'll talk about that. Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what is this word of Christ Well, we're commanded to let it dwell in us richly. And it's used once in the New Testament, according to most scholars. And so it's not really that common of a language. What could it be? It could be this, could be that. But remember, it's imperative. It's a command. God is telling us that. To get this word of Christ into us, to dwell into us. It's not like, well, God, I'm just a little busy this week. So I'm not busy this season. This season just not good for me. But that doesn't give us a buy. Because God didn't just suggest this. He commands it. Why? Because he's good. And he knows what we need. He knows what's good for us. So what is this this word of Christ? Well, most scholars land on this. The word of Christ, the definition. You know, certainly Paul talks about the gospel a little earlier in this chapter. But but the word of Christ here, which is, uh, this scholar says, which is a phrase used only here in the New Testament, is Christ's teachings. Okay. Not only during his earthly ministry. Okay. But also the all, all of scripture. So it's the word of God, the totality, not just the teachings, uh, to include all of scripture of what God has says. And here's what I love. In the village church constitution, if you haven't read it, it's really cool. Uh, It says something beautifully about the word of God. And it says this, just a little phrase here. It says, the Bible is authoritative and true for all people. And this is kind of fun, this last part here. It says, regardless of human opinion. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So remember, church, and I've said this before, I'm going to say this again for as long as I have a voice, I'm going to keep saying this. One of the marks of if you're growing in Christ, if you're mature as a Christian or moving towards maturity in Christ is this. We submit even our opinions to the authority of God's word, which is truth. So in the New Testament, uh, in the original language, when when you see truth, it it 
just literally means this, truth. It means, and I think it's a little helpful, unhide or hiding nothing. I think that's kind of cool because Jesus, when you think of him, he brought light. He wasn't hiding anything. And when it was time, it was time. He taught, he went to the cross, he told people who he was, what he was going to do. He raised from the dead and he's coming back. It's all out there. And he shuts down everything else that are lies. Every philosophy that doesn't agree with the truth, capital T, he shuts down and he kills those lies because of his death, his resurrection. You know, here's a philosophical perspective um, definition of truth, which is actually a good one. It says this, truth is that which corresponds to reality. It's a good definition. I like that. There's some other philosophical ones too, put a few together and they, they do a good job and I don't disagree with it at all. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said this, I am the way, Jesus said, and the truth, he said, about himself and the life. He said he's the truth. So he is the origin, he's claiming, of all truth. Jesus is, and he's truth personified. Kind of an interesting topic. I don't quite get it all, but it's amazing. And he is, meaning Jesus is, that which corresponds to all reality. So we sing to Jesus. We sing loudly because he is truth. The big idea again today, and yes, I put this up there a lot because I know it's always helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. Christians invite truth. We sing truth and we're changed. So how do we invite them in? There's more in this key verse again. How do we invite them in? Well, the second word I want to dwell on here is dwell. <laughs> I want to dwell because it means this. In the passage where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Richly, we'll get to richly in a minute. Dwell, dwell means to be in, to live in, and to occupy. You don't just invite anybody in your house that you don't trust, right? I mean, you think, think of God who wants you to, him to invite you in. We know that he is one who wants to dwell with his people, who is trustworthy, who does dwell with his people throughout history. And so the Apostle Paul writes another church, a church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6. You see here, we're going to have it on the screen, that, that Paul is recounting for the people the goodness of God when he says, for we are the temple of the living God, as God said. Now he's referring back to the ancient Hebrew scripture, our Old Testament. He says, I will make my, this is God talking, I will make my dwelling with them. You know, dwelling is, is, is intimate. I will make my dwelling with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. That's crazy, good, and wonderful because in that day, you think of the, uh, the pagan gods which were nothing more than demons. You think of, I mean, they didn't care. But yet this God, the one true God of the universe is a covenanting God who wants to dwell with his people in and with his people. So church, for the word of Christ to dwell in us, it's 100% true that we need teaching and admonishing like this verse says with one another in all wisdom, like studying the Bible, knowing the Bible, learning the truth, applying the word, obeying the word of God. Yes, all of that. But for the word of Christ to dwell in us, something else is equally true from this passage. And that, what is 100% true, is we need to sing. We need to sing the truth songs, worship songs that contain the truth. That's what we need. That's what verse 16 tells us. Remember this week, we're focusing on the contents of worship music. Okay, the truth. Next week, we're going to look at the packaging that it comes in. Psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs. Now, um, there's this, this old book called My Heart, Christ's Home. 
Some of you probably read it. It's pretty old. It's a really cool one. But it reminds me of this, uh, to ask this question, and I had to do it this week. Can you say that Christ lives in all areas of your life? Imagine with me for a moment, like this, this book I mentioned talks about. Imagine that you're a house, okay? You're, you're, you're a house, okay? You can have any, any house you want. You can have a ranch house with a deck. You can have a backyard, no backyard. doesn't matter. Remember, you have to mow a backyard if you have a backyard. You have a 10-bedroom 10 10, 10 house. Someone's got to clean it, right? It's all right. You can get an imaginary person to clean it. Whatever you need. But it's, you, you have a house. You're a house. Have you locked Christ out of any of the rooms in your house? Have you ever thought about that? Can you say that Christ is in your imaginary family room, maybe uh, living room, maybe basement where you hide, or not hide, in the basement where you have some of that old stuff stored, or maybe in the attic where you've put things in the attic that you want to forget about? Have you locked any of these rooms out or Christ out of any of those? How about the bedroom? How about your computer room? Can Christ get in there or have you locked it off from him? Worship music. Worship music is a great cure for the word and getting the word of Christ into those places, into all of those places. Worship music can seep under the locked doors. Whatever doors they are, Christ can get in there. The word of Christ can get in there, and then we're changed. Remember worship music. Remember music in general sears messages into your heart, your soul, and your mind by design. Another word I want to look at, third word in here is, is richly. We looked at word of Christ. We looked at dwell richly. Uh, richly, here's adverb, right? It's an adverb. It's like saying kind of fully so that it will change you and it will show. It says this, the beginning of verse 16, I'm going to read it over and over again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And of course, all these things with teaching and so on and singing. But richly, in order to do that, we're going to have to control all of our thinking. What can we do to control all of our thinking? I'll just give two things quickly. We want to agree with and look at the antithesis of those common lies under the age-old lies I mentioned earlier. And here's the antithesis to that, that list. These are age-old truth nows and common truths. These are things in order to control our thinking so we can richly uh, let the word of Christ dwell in us. Number one, God is the most important person. Remember before it was, I'm the most important person? But what's the truth? God is. And instead of number two, my happiness is the most important thing? No, God's glory. God cares about your life, what you're going through. He wants good for you, but ultimately he's in charge and he knows what's good for you and he'll take you through the darkest days. I know that for sure. God's glory is the most important thing. Three, another truth, the antithesis of those common lies, the common truth. Number three, God gets to decide truth. I don't get to decide it. You should thank God that I don't get to decide truth. God gets to decide truth. Having God dwell richly in you requires that you buy into these truths, that you invest in these truths with your life. So take a look at this list, and, and you can reference this if you want to, because I want to go have a little, little exercise with us real quick. You don't have to get up and move around. It's just an exercise. I want to ask you to go back and visit your imaginary house. I hope you didn't sell it. Get it, buy it back if you have to because we, we're going to use it here for a minute. I'd like you to take just about 15 seconds. I'll set this up for you. And, and imagine that you're going to inspect this house. Okay, one more time. 
You're going to walk through the house and you're going to determine, are any of these doors locked to Jesus Christ? Of course, course, again, this is a metaphor. (laughs) Whatever rooms that you have in your house, they represent something to you. And you might have things in those rooms. What are they? They might be things like shame. They might be things like guilt. They might be things like sin. Take some time. If you would just close your eyes for a few seconds. Ask God to richly dwell in you. Invite him in. Ask him to unlock these doors as you go through inspection. Let's do that now. My hope is that you've taken some steps in inspection, that this will be a regularly ongoing thing, that you'll inspect your house and what it means to allow Christ, the word of Christ, to dwell in you richly, to go through this inspection, to open these areas to God, to let him fill you deeply and richly. And church, be encouraged because our faith in Christ as Christians and his teachings and the scripture, all of the scriptures based on overwhelming historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his bodily resurrection, his many, many, many miracles, the many hundreds and hundreds of prophecies fulfilled the reliability of the scriptures and the archaeological evidence time after time after again, basing our faith on this historical truth. Know and be encouraged and motivated today to sing the truth because our faith is a true faith. Our God is true. Well, let's Move to our third point then. We talked about age-old lies, age-old truth, and let's respond to the truth. And that's the third thing today, respond to the truth. And just, there's about three things I just want to go through pretty quickly here. One is, we grow. To respond to this, this truth, this word of Christ, we grow through singing. It's something we do. Singing what? Singing truth, of course. But we grow as disciples of Christ when we sing. Did you know that? It's not just a response to God. It's, we are growing as we're singing truth. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to read 3.16 one more time. <laughs> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As we sing, we invite in truth into our hearts, into our souls, into our minds, and, and worship music, it, it literally forms you. It forms you as his disciple. Invite him into all those rooms, whatever they are. Keep nothing from him, and you and I will grow as his disciple. Second thing, we glorify God. Again, we are responding to truth. We glorify God by singing. Here we go again. Our focus is singing in spirit and truth. We're glorifying God by singing in spirit and truth. And spirit and truth goes along with what we're talking about today. What I mean by spirit and truth, I'm just going back to the words of Jesus back in John chapter 4 where Jesus is having a theological discussion with a woman, a woman who's a foreign woman in that day, a rabbi like him being a man and this, and this woman, they're out there in the day and in that day you, you just don't have uh, a man or a woman talking like that out in the day but you know, Jesus was willing to reach her. He had an intellectual conversation with her about worship And she's wondering about worship, and so he's answering her questions. And here's what Jesus says to her. 
he says, true worshipers, I love that, true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So in spirit and in truth. The true worshipers, what does that mean? In spirit, we have it on the screen there. In spirit means God in one's life with the Holy Spirit dwelling. And truth, worshiping God through the full revelation of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the word of Christ, his teachings, and all of scripture. And so he's looking for, Jesus is looking for these kind of worshipers. So we sing. We sing in spirit, in truth, and we worship God and we glorify him in the process. Third thing, also again, singing. We testify to the truth by singing. This is how we respond to the truth. We testify to it. We sing it out loud. We sing truth and we care about truth. You know, when the origin or the originator and the author of all of truth, Jesus Christ, stood before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, before he was crucified, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus a question. It's found in John chapter 18. And, and Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And I can just imagine what Jesus must be thinking. No, I can't really, but <laughs> here's what he said. I know what he said. He said this to Pontius Pilate. You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Here's what Jesus came into the world for. To bear witness to the truth, meaning to testify to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Friends, some people are still confused. Even today, even after the resurrection, some people are still confused about the truth. We know him. His name is Jesus Christ. And when we have the word of truth, the word of Christ, which we do, our response is, how we respond then is to sing. We testify truth as we sing and we testify to others. His death. His resurrection has validated that Jesus is indeed the truth. And so we sing. We sing to Jesus. We sing truth. All right, let me summarize then. Just as I conclude here, three, uh, no, two, two things to summarize and three so what's. For today then, we talked about what contents, the truth of our worship music as we're in this series. And why? Because it forms us. It forms us. Why? Because it sears our hearts, our minds, and our soul, because it takes truth, and the worship music, it takes our emotions, and those things together just sear into our brain by God's design, his truth, and it grows us, it shapes us, and so we sing. And also, we reject the age-old lies, and we sing the age-old truth instead, the word of Christ, which changes us from the inside out as we let his word dwell richly in us. I have three so what's. Now these so what's are a little different. These so what's are just simple assessment questions. Three of them for you. If we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus and through worship music, think of this. Number one, just think. Are you a discerning worshiper? And by that I mean singing and how we sing. And what we, Are you discerning? Is your heart learning and caring and wanting to know truth from lies. Are you discerning? Number two, so what? Are you engaged emotionally in worship? And I grew up being a pretty, um, what's the right word for 
not emotional guy. I don't know what the word is, stoic. I don't know what it was. Um, I, I know some of us are more emotional than others, but God has designed our worship music, music and song to reach us at a level more than just our head. And so if somehow emotions never come into play, you might want to ask yourself, if there's something standing between you and God, what does that mean? But think about it. Are you engaged emotionally when you worship? Good, bad, whatever's happening in your life, are you giving it to the Lord? Every single thing. Third, are you being formed by worshiping? And formed, I mean, over time, as you're singing to the Lord, over the years, maybe over the months, are you seeing a change? That's what I mean by formed. Are you seeing a change in your life? Are you more prone to come to him, to sing praises to him, or to sing in times of need and desperation? Are you, are you being formed by the song and the truth? Well, I want to invite the worship team up here right now because we're going to be singing again more here in the rest of this service. But I also want you to know that we're going to be doing communion at the end of service. And so as we're singing these songs, you can feel free to get up and go get elements at the column to my left, column to my right, and also back there by the double doors. And we'll be taking the communion a little bit later. But next, we're going to sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That's the perks I got today. So <laughs> originally written by Robert Robinson. Uh, this song talks about the words I said before, singing songs of loudest praise. Why? Because of his blessings, because of his grace, because of his mercy. When you and I at one time were wandering far from, even now as believers in Christ, we sometimes wander, don't we? But Christ in his goodness, he pulls us back. Why? Because of his mercy, his love. He interposed his precious blood between us and the danger. He loves us so much. Let's sing to him now. <laughs> 